0: Hello, welcome to The Briefing, it's Wednesday the 15th of July. In a moment we're going to speak to Aussies who are stuck overseas and now having to bear the cost of their hotel quarantine.
1: We didn't just decide to, oh you know what, let's just continue on a Kentucky trip around Europe for the next three or four months and not wear a mask or use any hand sanitizer. and then when we run out of cash then we'll decide to come home and the government will pick up the bill.
0: Aussies overseas, do they have a right to be frustrated at the government's handling of their return? That's in just a moment. First, Annika Smethos is here for the big stories of the day.
2: Yes, Tom, Victoria could be headed for an even stricter lockdown as the case numbers continue to soar. There are now high level discussions within the government about stage four lockdowns after two more deaths and 270 new cases yesterday. Here's Chief Health Officer Brett Sutton.
3: They are all uh, on the table. Further restrictions uh, need to be considered. We can't rule anything out if um, there aren't sufficient um, mechanisms to drive down transmission. We would do the minimum uh, uh, required because we know how uh, much of an imposition it is on businesses, on people's lives.
0: So, Brett Sutton, they're not ruling it out, the stage four lockdown, but also not giving much away. Annika, can you explain what a stage four lockdown would actually look like?
2: Sure. You sort of can't imagine how much worse it could get for people Mm. in Victoria, but What stage four would look like would really a short, sharp stay in your home order. You're only allowed out for groceries or to go to the pharmacies. Maybe exercise once a day, but that will be heavily regulated. It's the sort of thing we saw in the UK and also in New Zealand. And it's really just to try and get on top of this.
0: Also in Victoria, the health authorities have revealed that two people with COVID-19 that were linked to the public housing tower clusters also attended the Black Lives Matter rally. (laughs)
2: Queensland's declared two COVID hotspots in New South Wales. Here's Queensland's Chief Health Officer, Dr Jeanette Young.
3: Campbelltown City and Liverpool City are both hotspots, which means anyone who has been in those areas in the previous 14 days and comes into Queensland will need to go into mandatory hotel quarantine.
0: So one of the main concerns is the outbreak at the Crossroads Hotel Cluster in Sydney Southwest, which is now linked to 30 cases. Uh, health officials have confirmed patient zero was from Melbourne.
2: And last night, New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian was asked whether her state is on the cusp of a second lockdown like we're seeing in Melbourne. Until we have a cure, we have to live with it. But we can't shut down every time we have a cluster of cases. We can't keep shutting down and reopening, shutting down and reopening.
0: So that sounds like a reasonable strategy at at this point in New South Wales, Annika, but you'd have to wonder what the cutoff is if they hit, say, triple figures in one day, whether she changes her approach.
2: Yeah, I don't think Melbourne really had the choice given the numbers we're seeing there and it will be interesting to see if that's replicated what happens in New South Wales. Now, Tom, if you got attacked by a shark, what do you
0: reckon you'd say as you were wheeled into the ambulance?
2: I still love sharks! Sharks are beautiful!
0: Probably not that I loved sharks. Probably that I didn't really like sharks anymore.
2: Look, that was 29-year-old documentary filmmaker Anika Craney, filmed by Seven at Fitzroy Island in far north Queensland after she was bitten by a shark yesterday.
0: Yeah, luckily um, she just got a fractured ankle. Um, She didn't die, so... That's great news. Um, She clearly has a deep love of sharks. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a pretty bad time for shark attacks. We've had two fatal attacks in the last two weeks, a 15-year-old on the mid-north coast uh, and also a Queenslander the week before that. And then there's been three other fatal attacks this year.
2: Yeah, sharks are definitely having a good COVID-19 lockdown. But look, that woman that was bitten recently, she actually lost her home when the bushfires tore through the New South Wales south coast town of Cabargo early in the year. So terrible year for her.
0: Yeah, she's had a tough time, but great to see she's still sounding positive um, in that bed as she headed into the ambulance. And after almost 45 years and a massive court battle, the secret palace letters have finally been released to the public. If you're not sure what I'm talking about, these are the letters between the Governor-General from the 1970s, Sir John Kerr, and the Queen. Now, Sir John Kerr is the guy who dismissed the Prime Minister Gough Whitlam in 1975, leading to this famous speech. Well, may we say God save the Queen. (laughs)
1: because nothing will save the Governor-General.
2: The letters finally prove that the Queen didn't know about Kerr's plan to dismiss the Prime Minister, but he did let them know of his thinking leading up to the event. And opposition leader Anthony Albanese says they also prove something else.
1: The actions of the Governor-General... On the 11th of November, to dismiss a government, to put himself above the Australian people is one that uh, reinforces the need for us to have an Australian head of state.
0: So Annika, what do you think was the key takeout from these letters? Look, the decision to dismiss Gough
2: Whitlam clearly wasn't an impulse decision. It shows that Sir John Kerr was thinking about this for a little while and obviously trying to justify it, I guess, in his own mind that this is something he was prepared to do by informing the palace. And while the palace didn't have a, a big role, they did, I guess, present a lot of options to him, which some people will see as having some level of interference. I guess, you know, this won't really be any any sort of bring any happiness to those people that were devastated by what happened. But it it just shows that I guess the Queen didn't make that decision, which will, uh, you know, help a lot of people out there who have wondered about this for a long time.
0: Yeah. And do you think this is a not really what the Republican movement were hoping for? If the Queen had been responsible for this decision, um, that it would have strengthened the case to remove her as our head of state, Look, it
2: certainly would have. Um, I also think they can have a win in this in this argument, though, because it was showed that it was discussed with England. And just the fact that an Australian didn't make that decision free of any interference, you know, just made it without actually even informing the Queen that this was a possibility, I guess, plays into that idea that perhaps we still need some sort of independence
0: there. Well, they were going to argue their case either way, weren't they?
2: <laughs> yes, it's a win-win.
0: Such a rousing tune. When most of us travel overseas, you often do it knowing that if it all goes pear shaped, you can come home to Australia. Beautiful, safe country will be waiting for you with open arms. But for a lot of Aussies overseas, that seems to have changed fundamentally. We also agreed today a reduction in the number of inbound arrivals into Australia. Um, they will be cut by just over half. There is also a view across the National Cabinet that they are they are all effectively moving to a charging system.
2: That was the Prime Minister speaking after Friday's National Cabinet meeting. And in New South Wales, for example, that fee he was talking about will be $3,000. Here's that state's Premier, Gladys Berejiklian. Aussies and Australian resident. Residents overseas have had three or four months to think about what they want to do. They've had three or four months to make decisions about what is best for them. And uh, we were even hearing anecdotal stories about people making repeat visits, coming back home, then going back and coming back in at free cost.
0: So that was Gladys Berejiklian. What do you think? Are these changes fair? Should returning Aussies chip in for quarantine? And have they had enough warning? You're about to hear what the reality of that actually means for young Aussies who've been working abroad Um, First, Annika, can you walk us through the background to this?
2: Sure. So, Tom, back in March, Scott Morrison told Aussies to stop going overseas and warned those that are already there that they're going to need to come home.
0: Those Australians who are overseas, we've been encouraging them to return to Australia. Uh, Those who are in more remote parts of the world, that could prove more challenging. But for those who are in other places, uh, then it is our intention to ensure that we can maintain flights to to enable them to come home as soon as possible.
2: So, since he gave that warning, about 300,000 Aussies have returned home, 70,000 of them went through the official quarantine. Now, taxpayers have picked up the bill for that. In New South Wales alone, they've paid more than $65 million to put people up in hotels across the city for those two weeks. So the reason we were doing that, though, is because the majority of the coronavirus cases had been imported from overseas. That's all changed with the Melbourne outbreak. We now have community transmission. So Victoria just can't take any more people coming into its quarantine system until it gets its issues worked out there.
0: Yeah, so until that happens, how is this going to work?
2: There's only three ports travellers can come into now, and that's Perth, Brisbane and Sydney. Sydney's kept its arrivals at 450 people a day, but for Perth and Brisbane, it's only about 500 a week. And that's a huge drop compared to the usual amount of traffic they get in.
0: All right, well, let's speak to some Australians who are trying to get home from overseas to hear their perspective. Uh, Lachlan Kitchen's been trying to build a life in Dubai But he got fired last week.
1: So I'm one of the many Australians who's currently overseas that made a decision around March, April, when the government asked Australians who were overseas they should come home. I'm one who thought, look, I moved overseas in May last year Made the move to the United Arab Emirates here in the Middle East and decided, no, look, I'm making a life out here. I've got a career, you know, making some friends. I'll, I'll try and make the most of it. So I was only made redundant last week. And then you get told by the government that you're now going to have to pay for quarantine when you arrive back in Australia because you've had more than enough time to come home.
0: So do you think it's unfair to have to pay for your own quarantine?
1: I understand the justification behind it. Um, My experience from speaking to a lot of people is that I I believe that you shouldn't have to if you're looking to permanently move back to Australia. I know of plenty of people that have come and gone into Australia more than once, because whilst Australia has a very strong policy that no Australians are allowed to leave, if you're someone like me, where you have uh, an ID and a visa for another country and you're living in a country which is allowing their citizens to depart and then return, it's easy enough for you to go to Australia, maybe for four or five weeks, spend your two weeks in quarantine and then come back. So I think that maybe, you know, there's been a situation where people have come and gone numerous times and they've taken advantage of that situation. So I'm a believer that if you're looking to come back permanently, uh, you shouldn't have to pay.
0: Right. Everyone's doing it tough here in Australia. And so there's many people with the view that, you know, people coming back in from overseas, should chip in. What do you say to those people?
1: Like I I understand that everyone's doing it tough, but I think that as an Australian, you should be welcome back to your own country. And if you are going to pay, it seems strange that I I don't even get a choice in the hotel that I'm staying at. There's $3,000 I've got to pay. That could be a three-star accommodation or that could be a five-star accommodation. That doesn't quite seem right. And I can't see any other country on earth that's also doing this. If you're an Australian citizen, I think you have a right to be able to, to go back into your own country without having to, to pay the funds. There was always the idea of you've won the lotto of life by being born in Australia. The country helped you. And it, it does seem rather odd that now they're saying not everyone can come in. And if you do come, we're going to be giving you this full whack on arrival.
0: And what do you say to those people that say, well, the Prime Minister warned you in March, why didn't you heed that
1: call? It's a very common common statement and I've had this conversation with certain friends and it's because we're over here with a life. This has become our home. We've got family, we've got friends. We didn't just decide to, oh, you know what? let's just continue on a Contiki trip around Europe for the next three or four months and not wear a mask or use any hand sanitizer. And then when we run out of cash, then we'll decide to come home and the government will pick up the bill. But that's certainly not the case. And that seems to be the rhetoric as to the way most people tend to think is the reason why we didn't come home initially.
2: So that was Lachlan, who has now booked a flight home in September. But the only way to guarantee a spot on a plane was to pay $4,000 for a business class flight. So he'll have to add that to the $3,000 for quarantine he has to pay when he gets back.
0: Yeah, and we've spoken to a number of people in this situation, and that's the common story, that the only way to get on a plane is to get a business class flight. So for families, that's going to cost over $20,000. Let's go to James Mort. He's still in London, also trying to get home. He's paid five grand for a business class flight booked in August. And what's really telling about his experience is that even at the age of 25, untangling your life overseas is still really complex.
3: Absolutely. I think the current discussion around returning Australians has focused more on the issue of travellers. So people who don't have close ties to a country that they're working in and are able to leave a country quickly. The issue that we're seeing now is we have Australian expats who have those ties trying to return now because they have taken time to sever.
2: James, can you tell us a little bit about your situation and sort of how, as somebody overseas, you weigh up the decision about whether to return home or stay?
3: Yeah, not a problem. So I've lived in the UK for a year and a half. I unfortunately, at the start of the year, had to move house and signed on to a new rental contract, which had a minimum stay initially of 12 months, but I moved it down to six because of the pandemic. When the government advice came out that all Australians who wish to return home should do so as soon as possible, I immediately made the decision that I had to try and move home as quickly as I could. But unfortunately, with rental contracts, there's financial issues as far as being able to sever that early, and I couldn't afford to pay out that rent, so I was forced to stay and then come home as soon as possible. And job is another thing. I know people who are working sort of more higher end jobs will have notice periods that may be as long as three months and they can't just be severed. And if they go home too early, they'll risk unemployment and then potential that could put potential strain on things like the welfare system and others.
2: And what has the past four months been like for you living overseas away from family and friends as we sort of ride through this pandemic?
3: It's been incredibly stressful and sort of that process of slowly packing up a life and not going home as quickly as I would like to and being tied down is quite scary. And I think the worst bit has been watching the goalposts slowly move and seeing opportunities go home gradually disappear. I had initially booked flights with Qantas as I figured with the Australian carrier that would be the most reliable service. And then um, it was actually the day after I put in my notice at work that I got notification that all Qantas flights had been canceled until next year. And that's obviously a sort of a huge amount of stress because you go, well, am I going to be able to get home now? I've already set the wheels in motion for me leaving. If I can't get home within a couple of months, I'm in a very vulnerable position.
0: Right. So you gave notice and now you're having to stay there. Has that put your job at jeopardy?
3: Not quite. Thankfully, I was lucky to uh, book flights with a different carrier, which so far is still going ahead on the 12th of August. But what we're seeing at the moment with the current restriction on flights are people are finding out around 24 hours before they're due to fly out, whether they've been bumped off or whether their flights have been canceled. Just not knowing whether the flight is going ahead is very stressful and it makes planning very difficult, particularly when it comes to being able to get a new job elsewhere.
0: That was James Mort in London. Uh, It does sound quite hard, but I imagine with so many people here in Australia also doing it tough, Annika, There won't be that much sympathy... Um, because a lot of people feel like it's a a really privileged position to be in to be able to move overseas.
2: I think that's the case, Tom, and a lot of people over there have had a lot of warning, but as we've heard, untangling your life isn't that easy. These aren't people that were just, you know, backpacking or on the Kentucky, as we heard. Many of them had partners or jobs or houses that they really had to struggle to get out of.
0: Yeah, that's for sure. And I think there's that psychological comfort in knowing that it's easy to go home from overseas that is really affecting people as well given there's so much general anxiety because of the pandemic. Uh, Is anything going to change in this space looking ahead in the next few weeks and months?
2: Yeah, I think it all comes down to the Victorian pandemic and outbreak down there. If they can really rein that in and get on top of it, then flights can return to Melbourne again, and that will allow a little bit more flow to come through and more people can come back into the country. So hopefully this isn't a permanent situation, but there is some bad news from Qantas. They've stopped taking bookings until next year. So that doesn't give you a great sort of comfort in our ability to travel to and from places overseas for the next sort of Few months.
0: Tomorrow on the briefing, we'll take an in depth look at the Palace Papers. Those secret letters between our Governor General and the Queen from the 1970s were finally released. So we're going to find out what was in them and what they mean for our future. A Podcast One production.